0: we mm-hmm. Hello everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 31 of X Lapsed, and, uh, I come to you today hot and bothered, but, uh, literally hot and bothered. As uh, many of you know, I live in sunny Arizona, and, uh, despite the fact that we are currently in October, it's still over 100 degrees Fahrenheit out here, and, uh, I tell you what, I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm really, really, really tired of the heat. So, uh... Let's let's talk about X-Men <laughs> Let's talk about the X-Men here Because uh, I'm staring out my window right now And uh, all I see is hot So let's just get into the book here We are entering into the uh, Dawn of X number 4s So we are going to start with Marauders number 4 This one out of February 2020 cover date The story is called The Red Bishop Written by Jerry Duggan with art by Lucas Wernick Colors, Federico Blee. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X, Hickman. Edits, Robbins and White ski Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale December 18th, 2019. Now we open with our, you know, our usual three pages of non-comics. we got our roll call, so let's go through it. We've got Kate Pride, and I'm only calling her Kate because they... They make sure to call her that here uh, Bishop, Pyro, Storm, and Iceman Then we get our credits Then we get an info page So uh, I guess we got four non-comic pages to start It really makes me wonder Just like, what in the hell would a new reader do here? You know, you buy a comic book You spend four dollars on a comic book you're, you're a new reader You're ex-curious, right? And you're coming in And it takes you up to page five To get to comics uh, I guess, on the bright side, it's probably a good thing that there aren't too many new readers out there Maybe thanks to stuff like this, I don't know So, the info page we get makes mention of Jumbo Carnation being back among the living Which pays off on an earlier sinister secret I believe it was uh, one of the first ten that we got during during Hox Pox itself Then, imagine this, we actually get comics So let's talk about comics Now, we're somewhere in Brazil, where a quartet of young mutants are watching as three ships approach the shore. From the one in the middle, they can hear someone cranking out the other Journey song people know, so not not Don't Stop Believing, the other one. Uh, It's Pyro in in the uh, Steve Perry role, and he and Lockheed are even doing a full-on fire and light show to accompany his vocals. The kids, realizing they are now being saved by the marauders, they rush toward the beach, they are, unfortunately, stopped by a dude in a fatigue jumper and shades. This is a paragon of the Brazilian army or Brazilian Rentamark legion, I don't know. He warns them not to step off the beach, as that would be treasonous. And the pen- penalty for treason is, of course, death. Storm, however, begs to differ. She claims that these children are citizens of Krakoa by birthright and says if they so choose, they will return home with her. Our man Paragon thinks Storm's interjection is rather adorable, and more or less begs her to fight him, and so she strikes him with lightning, twice, which uh, eh, seems kind of unStorm-like to me. <laughs> maybe she's been uh, maybe she's been drinking the kitty juice. Eh. You know, having that listed as a bullet point, I didn't expe- expect it to sound quite so vulgar. I apologize. Um, I. Apologize uh, Let's move on uh, Now, they leave the Merc in a You know, he's smoking in a ditch <laughs> But uh, we do hear him gurgle the word Ugh Which lets us know that storm didn't break That first demandment of Krakoa They didn't kill him uh, The Marauders welcome the Tots to the ship And it looks as though the uh, standout If we can even call him that Of this group is a green kid called Fish uh, Pyro offers them liquor An Iceman downloads Krokoan into their noggins As they, uh And away they go. We shift scenes back to Taipei, where Kitty and Bishop are scoping out a building. We get a reminder here that Kitty's unable to step through the Krakoan gateways with the added information that she's never learned the Krokoan language. You see, Bishop gives her, like, a schematic of the place they're trying to break into, and it's written in Krakoan. Kitty doesn't know what the hell it says. There you go. Now, she and Bishop parachute down from a skyscraper, and as they fall, Kitty tries to sell our man on becoming her red bishop. He's still not fond of the idea. Our pair phase through the roof of a nearby building and arrive at the penthouse home of Lim and Chen Zhao. Now, Chen Zhao, if you recall, and you might not, because this was a few issues ago, this was the woman in the first issue who was holding rallies and claiming that her husband vanished after touching a Krakoan gateway. I assumed that this meant that this fellow might have been a mutant, and we're about to find out that I was completely wrong. Kitty and Bishop have a poke around the lavish penthouse home, with the former dis- depositing a piece of genuine ivory into the wall. You see, the Zows are a-holes, so we gotta hammer that point home as unsubtly as possible. Uh, Bishop's intel revealed that there's a panic room here, and so our pair phase through the wall to find it. And there, they find Lim Zow. This dude is incredibly happy to see Shadow Cat and Bishop, and, uh, I can't remember the last time we saw the name Shadowcat in print, though... To be honest, I don't always pay the best attention, so it could have been the last issue for all I know. It feels like it's been a while, though. Now, this fella, your Lim, he wants our heroes to take him back to Krakoa with them. Kitty doesn't quite understand what's going on. Bishop reveals that this goober is part of something called the Order of X, and that's a mutant-worshipping cult. I believe we saw the Shaws deal with a gaggle of them in Central Park last issue. Now, they're not so sure what to do with this fellow. Like, they really can't just leave him here, but at the same time, they can't really bring him back to Krakoa with them. This discussion is cut short, however, by the arrival of a couple of lady death strikes, who uh, Kitty and Bishop proceed to fight for a handful of mostly grunt-filled pages. It does look like poor Kitty gets her nose broken again here, though. Now, she ups the ante on her brutality here, swatting at one of the ladies' death strike with a pillow, phasing it upon impact, and then unfazing it while it's lodged in the baddie's body. Bishop then blasts the hell out of the other one, and our heroes are good to go. They grab Lim and head out out to Chen's current anti-mutant rally, and uh, she's being pretty much exactly what you'd expect her to be. They're, They're not being very subtle with her hatred. She's a bit gobsmacked, however, when Kitty, Bishop, and Lim interrupt the proceedings. Kitty gets on stage, reveals the scam, and deposits poor delusional Lim back into the care of his loving wife. Now, Lim is kind of a looney tune here. He's just, like, waving to the crowd while the, they pelt the pair with raucous booze. Uh, it's actually almost endearing how out-to-lunch this guy is. It's, it's pretty funny. Now, as Kitty and Bishop phase off panel, the former hard-sells the latter on becoming the Red Bishop again. He still ain't feeling it, but it would seem as though he's starting to come around. He asks about having to wear red, to which Kitty informs him that old Jumbo Carnation is already working on their gear. So I guess this means that Kitty won't be wearing that that really awful Captain Morgan outfit we saw her in a couple issues ago. Hopefully. Uh, From here, info page. It's some emails exchanged between Bishop and Beast, and uh, to be completely honest, it might just be the most likable Beast has been portrayed in a decade. Now, Bishop informs Hank about the Lady's Deathstrike and refers to them as post-humans. So, if I'm remembering right, they're the second and third post-humans we've seen in Dawn of X to this point. Uh, we had uh, that one from The Vault back in X-Men number one. Uh, and I don't think we've seen any since, unless I'm mistaken, I very well might be. Uh, Bishop also complains to Hank that, uh, you know, Kitty's still trying to coerce him into becoming the Red Bishop. Beast tells him, hey, you know what? You ought to consider it, because it could prove useful down the line. You know, the Hellfire Club Corporation, whatever, they're not known for their transparency, so maybe having a fella on the inside would be the best way to go. From here, we jump back to comics, and we wrap up the issue. We rejoin Chen, who has just arrived in Madripoor, for an important meeting. You see, she was humiliated and ruined by the mutants, and now she wants revenge. And so, she's decided to throw in with Cade Kilgore in the Junior Hellfire Club. Wow. I haven't seen or even thought about these characters in, like, God, near a decade. So, (laughs) that's interesting. And that's, uh, that's where we, uh, where we wrap up, uh, we wrap up on a pretty, uh, pretty interesting and pretty neat uh, note there with uh, the Junior Hellfire kids. There, I, I like that. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about Excalibur number four, but uh, let's talk about what we just read. Now, I like this issue a lot. I thought this was a really, really fun story. Um, I mean, let's let's talk about Kitty and Bishop. I thought this was a really fun team-up. These are a couple of characters that I feel like I haven't seen together, working together, like, ever, you know? And uh, I think it worked really well. Uh, I like Bishop playing kind of the straight man, and Kitty, you know, kind of being a bit petulant and uh, beggy, trying to get him to uh, sign on the dotted line to be her red bishop. Um, Then the dialogue here... I mean, they felt like natural pals, and the dialogue was very organic Which is a nice change of pace from some of the discourse in the other X-Books Which I've commented has felt rather forced, and rather, rather, you know, contrived Um, A lot of just means to an end sort of stuff, right? Where this felt, this felt legit, and I liked it Um, I liked, another thing I liked was that Kitty was not portrayed as being sloppy drunk during this issue and uh, that's not to say I have a problem with people drinking or anything. I'm not a drinker personally, outside of the the one girl drink I allow myself every year on the wedding anniversary. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the wife and I, in normal, that is to say, non 2020 years, we celebrate our anniversary every year at uh, a place called the Salish Lodge in uh, Snoqualmie, Washington, which. For folks familiar with Twin Peaks, you might know better as the Great Northern. It's the uh, the hotel from the uh, opening credits of Twin Peaks. We're pretty big fans, and uh, and the lodge and the waterfall and the, and the town are beautiful. So it's a, it's a win win win. I'll get my uh, my one alcoholic beverage of the year there, which is something called the Dale Cooper. It uh, it's kind of citrusy. It's 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 a girl drink. Uh, and again, if you're familiar with Twin Peaks, that name will probably ring a bell. Uh, usually, I'll take a sip, then I'll turn into everyone's Irish uncle. You know, bright red nose, bright red cheeks, and and all smiles. Just doesn't take me much. My tolerance is, is very, 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 very low. Anyway, that said, I don't have a problem with people drinking. Uh, but the way Kitty is portrayed, it I don't know. It makes me think of like that one friend in our in everybody's circle who massages every conversation to include a mention in, about how they like to smoke pot. I, th- I think we all have that one pr- one friend, you know, and uh, it just it like they insist upon their uh, their addiction or whatever it is that they do, and it's like, okay, we get the point, we get the point. Stop hitting us over the head with it. We get it. You like to do that? Cool. Whatever. It <laughs> it just makes me. It reminds me of a lot of how Kitty's been written for the first two issues of the series. So seeing her here in issue four, being more heroic and less. Wildly annoying it Was a very nice thing to see um, I really enjoyed her trying to Kind of needle Bishop into the position Of uh, the Red Bishop For the help Fire Corporation Just really good stuff all around I, I can't say a bad thing about it I enjoyed it uh, The Taipei mission was well done I liked Lim being part of the X-Cult As well as his wife's comeuppance um, It was also cool seeing a couple of posthumans I, I'd almost forgotten about them So it was neat to get a reminder that these sort of characters, uh, you know, if Hoxpox is to come to pass, the you know the far-flung futures, they're eventually going to loom large, right? Uh, having a pair of ladies Deathstrike was an interesting choice. Um, you know, not exactly an A-lister, but one that's recognizable on sight. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, reintroducing the Junior Hellfire kids, I I liked that too. That was a neat choice. Um, as I mentioned, I probably haven't thought about them in. Probably since 2011, 2012, maybe. Because if I'm remembering right, I think they hit around the time of Schism. And I think they may have had an arc or two in the Wolverine and the X-Men series that spun out of uh, Schism. I do remember them being fun foils uh, for, you know, Wolverine, and I I think Quentin Quire was part of those stories. And and hopefully they will be again, you know? Hopefully they will be again here in uh, Marauders moving forward. Um... I think the only thing, if we can even call it a complaint, uh, the only thing that I really didn't dig about this issue was the way Storm was portrayed. I don't remember her being quite so liberal with her use of power. Um, I mean, this wasn't like she was facing down an army. This was just one idiot, and she hit him with lightning twice. (laughs) It just feels like a literally overkill, right? I mean, um. They, they had to make sure they put a panel in there of the dude gurgling to make sure we knew he didn't die. But, I mean, this dude got pelted pretty hard. And uh, Storm did it really without any thought. It wasn't like a last resort sort of thing. It's just like, okay, well, you know, you step to me and I'm going to hit you with lightning. So, I don't know. Not my favorite take on Storm. Though, I will say that Storm's been portrayal here has been better than I've seen her in many, many years. So... I guess you take the good, you take the bad. Or you take the stuff you dig, and you take the stuff you don't dig quite as much. Uh, overall, though, I had a pretty good time with this. i um, you know, beyond happy that I'm completely back on board with this title, uh, because after issue two, which I came down kind of middling on, I was a little bit worried. I thought I was going to fall on the minority side of just being someone who tolerated this book. But, uh... But no, this was a lot of fun I'm happy to be back Um, I'm happy that I'm enjoying this And I'm happy that I'm looking forward to the next issue So that's a uh, That's what we in the biz call uh, You know, a win (laughs) I'm a little bit less happy that next episode We'll be looking at Excalibur But And all I've seen so far is the cover Which has Betsy fighting What looks to be the Shogo Dragon Uh, We'll we'll see We'll see (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not usually one that hopes that the cover doesn't depict what happens in the issue, but I'm kinda hoping that the cover doesn't depict what happens in the issue. We'll be optimistic. We will uh we will be optimistic. As always, we will try to uh try to keep it on the bright side. But uh that's about all I have to say about this issue, but uh before I let you go, let's uh let's touch into with some the uh, feedback from the mailbag here. I'll start with Damien. This is regarding new mutants number three. And New Mutants number 3 was tonally very, very different from New Mutants number 1 and 2. Totally different story, totally different characters, just a totally different thing. So Damien says, I will never understand why the two storylines in New Mutants were not released as two separate series. They really are unrelated. In itself, it's not the worst X story, but I wanted to see more of the team from the first two issues. Yeah, such a bizarre shift here Um, it makes very little sense Why they would cut into the Shi'ar story With this two-parter Um, the only thing I could Maybe guess is that Maybe Hickman needed more time I I I don't know the man (laughs) And I am I am very, uh I'm like tangentially into the, you know The comics news world here So I don't know a whole heck of a lot that's going on Outside of the, you know, the handful of books that I'm reading So, I don't know what what all he's writing outside of his ex-commitments, but uh, I'm guessing he's probably a pretty busy dude. Um, maybe this new, this new Mutants arc had a one-month or two-issue buffer built in to buy him some time, and of course that is assuming that this side story all wraps up next issue. I, I guess they decided they'll just pass the savings on to us poor defenseless readers. Um, and you're right, it's not the worst story. It just felt... A bit too much like a fill-in for my tastes It's almost as though they had writers Put together some very basic post hoxpox style stories And then just stuffed them in a drawer Until they were needed You know, it's like, okay, this is the new status quo Write us some stories and we'll use them if we have to And uh, this is one of them (laughs) That's how it feels I am completely talking out of my ass here Uh, This could be the plan all along Maybe the two stories are going to converge in some way Couldn't tell you, I don't know But, uh, yeah, this was a weird one Very, very weird Back to Damien, he says Interesting to hear your reaction to the villains They really do come across as generic anti-mutants As I recall, the next issue tries to make them more important And kind of explains why they have power-dampening weapons But I remember remaining underwhelmed And, uh, underwhelming is probably the most apt descriptor here Um, because, like we said, it's not a bad story It's just an unspectacular story uh, it would probably take something very spectacular to happen to change my mind on the arc and make it make it feel like it was something worthwhile. But uh, we'll see. Uh, Damien continues. In relation to your reaction to my DC origin story, you're wrong. Millennium was the perfect jumping-on point. You stated that nothing really happens in the story, and this allows them to time to show off who and what makes up the DC universe at the time. There was also a fantastic article by assistant editor Mark Wade in issue 2 in which he talks about the history of DC crossovers. This was perfect for a newcomer as I was instantly brought up to date in an era where internet research would have been impossible. And as much as I hate Millennium, and I do hate Millennium, I have this weird begrudging respect for what it set out to do as it pertains to including as much of the then-DC universe into its web as possible. I mean, even characters who didn't have their own titles at the time... We're kind of tied into the ascension of the New Guardians uh, in, in issue 8 of Millennium. And uh, and I've covered that Wade bit myself, both uh, in pod and blog form. And uh, that might just be the highlight of the entire run uh, to me. Uh, Damien continues, Of course, when I met Steve Englehart at a comic convention and asked him to sign my first DC comic, he apologized for it being, for it being impenetrable. So the writer of the comic is on your side. And, uh... Hey, it's not often I think I'd find myself agreeing with Mr. Englehart, but there you go. Um, <laughs> speaking of impenetrable, um, I'm not really one to talk. Uh, I've mentioned here and again that uh, about my DC Comics origin story, you know. I started reading DC Comics with the death of Superman in 1992, 1993, and then I left. I left after that story. I left actually before the reign of the Superman wa- wrapped up because... I found myself not caring. Um, I'd pop in every now and again, you know. Electric Blue was something I wanted to see, some Nightfall stuff I wanted to see, Emerald elect- uh, Twilight I wanted to see. So I popped in every now and again, but actually came back to DC in earnest around the time of Batman No Man's Land. You know, that's where I was like, okay, I'm going to take a look on the other side of the table. I had way too much money burning a hole in my pocket, and uh, a lot of the DC stuff just looked cool. So it's like, okay, I'm going to finally do this. I'm going to finally start adding these, these books to my, uh, to my pull list, you know. So for the first time ever, I was a an, a, you know, an ingrained DC Comics reader. And, uh, and what was the first DC trade paperback I bought? Crisis. <laughs> I knew nothing about DC Comics. But I bought and I read Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think it was like a $40 trade. Which was a lot of money then A lot of money now Um, And despite not knowing about Three quarters of the characters Or really anything about pre-crisis DC Comics history I didn't know jack about the Silver Age Bronze Age, didn't know anything But I bought it and I read it (laughs) And and I tried my best Uh, I've read it several times since And Reggie and I actually have You know, 13 or 14 hours Of Crisis coverage on the channel here But uh that was, uh, you know, I can't really speak when it comes to impenetrable stories. Um, uh, Damien wraps up with I covered Millennium in my first episode of my podcast, Should I Love This Comic. It's a little difficult to listen to as it was my first attempt, but I would recommend your listeners at least look up the gallery page at my website, shouldilovethis.blogspot.com, where I shared that article. And uh, yeah, Millennium, as, as much as I disliked it, Um, is one of... uh, Because I've covered it uh, many different ways myself, too. And uh, it's one of the living and breathing sections of the blog, um, which is to say the posts are, like, never done, because I'm constantly... or not constantly, but I'm regularly finding new things to add. New commentary, new ephemera, um, new, you know, promotional material. And I will update... My Millennium posts to include them. I don't know why Millennium is like the one DC crossover that I picked to do this with because I, like I said, I hate it. <laughs> I think it's really bad. But uh, I, for some reason, it's just, I, I've kind of pigeonholed myself to do as much Millennium uh, based <laughs> research as possible. I can't explain it. Uh, the post for Millennium Number no. 8 at Chris's Uninformed Earth is chock full of extras, if anybody wants to check that out. Um, and I'll also add the link to Damien's coverage in the show notes uh, for folks to check out uh, his gallery as well, and his program. But thank you so much for reaching out there. I always look forward to your messages, and uh, I was especially looking forward to seeing your reaction to my reaction to the wildly strange New Mutants number three, so that was very cool. Thank you so much. Uh, now, our other piece of feedback this time out will be from our friend Al Sedano uh, regarding Powers of X number three. So he's uh, he's still very early in the run here. And uh, one thing about Al, uh, he and I have a uh, have a project that we've got in the works that uh, we think some folks out there might find legend. I mean, I mean legendary. Um, We'll we'll put a pin in that, but it will be a part of the the late new fall season here at the Chris and Reggie Channel. So I hope hope folks uh, might smell what I'm cooking here. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, Al's message here starts with sorry, been a busy been busy the last few days. But here are my thoughts after listening to episode five and reading Powers of X number three. First of all, I love nihilistic suicide run Zorn. This is not the kind of nihilism I'm used to seeing. Normally, it's Thanos, and while I do love that character, he's not great at providing the giggles. Zorn, however, is like, what if Iceman was a nihilist? And yeah, this take on Zorn was super cool. Um, I really wasn't expecting to be quite as taken with these X-Men of the Year 100, but they were just a ton of fun. Um, and as I mentioned during the coverage here, I actually felt a loss when they went away, which... Really speaks to the talents of, uh, of Jonathan Hickman here To take these uh, these chimeras, you know, these ciphers, you know And just make them uh, just just so damn endearing and uh, so much fun to read Al continues Also, I didn't realize that wasn't Magneto I was wondering why the change to the green outfit, but now that makes sense And yeah, totally, I wasn't sure either until it was made clear that he was a chimera um, I thought that was a pretty neat reveal Uh uh, the whole chimera concept is pretty neat and I wonder I mean we have a post human here today and uh, I think that they're gonna they're gonna I think they're gonna be playing kind of in concert um, that might have been made perfectly clear and I'm just too dense to realize it but I, I think that it's uh, I think that it'll, it'll all come together and I'm looking forward to seeing that happen. Uh, back to Allie says, so Krakoa is a merger of Krakoa and Cypher. Interesting that one of the, the the one considered the weakest apparently lasts longer than the rest of the New Mutants, as well as most of the X-Men. And yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I still like to call him Swamp Thing for the few times we saw him, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Cypher did outlast his, uh, his cohort, right? And I feel like Cypher has kind of taken that, uh, I don't know if this will make sense uh, to anyone but me. But I feel like he's taking that Aquaman role, you know? Like the character that everyone assumes is a joke. You know, you get the, like, the her he talks to fish sort of thing, but then the writers kind of bend over backwards to legitimize him. Uh, maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. I, or maybe I've just heard too many, you know, John Byrne civilians talk about Aquaman. And I get the Derher, he talks to fish a lot. Uh, maybe I'm just annoyed that every Aquaman story anymore seems to be preceded by some commentary about how he's not a joke anymore, and yet every single writer who handles the character will cram at least one, one der her he talks to fish remarks into their work. I don't know, but I, I feel like Cypher, you know, is a silly character to have on your front lines, and uh, writers, ever since he's returned from the dead, have been really, really bending over backwards to make him feel more legit. I think Hickman's got him in a really good spot um, In, you know, in being the, uh, the translator or the liaison Between the X-Men and Krakow I think that's a really good role for him And plays to his strengths While, you know, hiding all of his weaknesses uh, Back to Al, he says This issue, considering how many of them die, was quite amusing Besides Zorn, we also get more from the new, new snarky and sarcastic Nimrod It's ironic that at this point in the future The machine is more human than most humans seem to be and yeah, I totally love this take on Nimrod And you're spot on here Um, somehow his behavior feels the most human Out of anyone in this point in time But it's just so damn creepy, isn't it? I, I think that this is This is like the scariest I've seen a character in a very long time And all he's doing is acting normal <laughs> You know, you have this big You know, pink marshmallow peep Who's being all sassy and sarcastic A uh, really, really fun take on Nimrod I, I liked it a lot Um Back to Ali says, one mistake you, One mistake it looks like you made. Uh, when reading the timeline from War of the Ninth, you missed some of the events listed on the bottom of that timeline. Year 49 was when mutants overrun Asia established the capital cities of Fakaba, Kir, and Tian. Since it seemed like you were confused as to what they were when it says they were destroyed in year 56. So, yeah, Mia culpa. You're totally right. I actually uh, flipped through the issue hoping... That I'd get a get-out-of-jail-free card here And maybe maybe they only included that little tidbit In the collected edition But not the original issue But no, no, they did And I just missed it <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm sorry about that It uh, it happens from time to time, doesn't it? Um, now, if Al wraps up his email here That's all this time Except to add that I enjoyed Jeremiah as a guest And hope he comes back at some point point. And uh, thank you I hope so, too I actually just uh, chatted him up today And he, uh, he decided he's going to order... The uh, Dawn of X anthologies, so uh, you never know. We might see him here again pretty soon uh, as he gets those and starts reading through them. And also, you know, while on that subject, it's been a few weeks since I've extended any invitations, so that goes for anybody. If uh, if anybody would like to come on and chat with me about a Dawn of X issue, as well as maybe your life and times as an X fan, please reach out. Um, uh, you know, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or Ace Comics on Twitter. Uh, I'd love to hear from folks. I'd love to have uh, more people on to uh, to talk about this, you know, very interesting time in X-History as well, as learn a little bit more about your times in X-History. You know, that's part of the stuff that I love the best about this, is sharing stories about how we discovered certain properties, uh, why, we stayed, why we stuck with some, why we left sometimes, why we came back. I just... Uh, I don't know how interesting a lot of people find that, but I find it very, very interesting. So, like I said, if anybody wants to come on and chat, definitely reach out. Reach out, please. Um, and you know, if you want to just reach out and uh, you know, send me a letter or talk about how much you love and/or hate the program, please do so. That's at uh, again at Ace Comics on Twitter or at Weird Comics History at Gmail dot com. Uh, you could find the show notes and all the stuff, including. A whole lot of words about Millennium over at Earthcom You can find the xLapsed subdomain at xLapsed.chrisisuninfinitearth.com. You can find us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. You can find us on Tumblr at xLapsed. I don't know exactly how to find it on Tumblr. I will include the link in the show notes because I, I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Um, You can find the audio archives At chrisandreggie.podbean.com Where you'll be able to find Thousands of hours worth of audio Entertainment or audio uh, I don't know, just audio I guess (laughs) I don't want to overstep And call it entertainment It is, But it is audio, that is a fact Um, But I think that's where we'll leave it today One more huge Thank you to everyone for, uh, for hanging out And sharing your time with me as we enter The issue fours We're uh we're making a dent here. We're by the end of the fours, we'll be what about a third of the way through these runs. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I didn't know that this series would uh, would quite have quite the lasting power that it has. So, and uh, I owe all of that to uh, to you all. So thank you so so much. Um, but I think that's where we'll put a pin in it. So until next time, I will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya.